The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. We are in a new season in many different ways. A new season on the calendar, a new season in the season, and we're also entering into a new sermon series. You know, from time to time, we do something a little bit different. It is, it is our pattern of practice here to preach what's called expositional messages where we walk through a book of the Bible or a section of a book of the Bible and go chapter by chapter and verse through verse for a section and we usually alternate between Old and New Testaments but usually between Old and New Testaments we pause to do something that's called topical preaching where we focus on a theme or a topic and then expound on that theme or topic over the course of weeks of course, from the scriptures, but uh, using varied places in the scripture, not any one place consistently throughout the, the series of topical messages. Well, we are starting a topical sermon series in the month of September. It's just going to be four weeks long, just the rest of September, but it is called Ultimate Questions. And what this is going to be in four weeks, Lord willing, hopefully, a, a overview of the essential components of the Christian worldview. The essential components of the Christian worldview, origin meaning morality and destiny. Origin meaning morality and destiny. And so, uh, we are leaving Abraham behind for now, but not necessarily the book of Genesis. So, if you haven't already, let's open together to the book of Genesis. Uh, and uh, you'll also be wanting to find Acts chapter 17, because we will be reading both the Old and the New Testament readings uh, this morning, Genesis 1, and then also Acts 17, uh, so you want to be turning there, and uh, just by way of introduction then to, to today's sermon, we want to understand uh, what a worldview is. Uh, a worldview, uh, whether that is a, a word in your vocabulary or not, I would encourage you to grow that word into your vocabulary because a worldview is a series of beliefs or truths about reality that you hold and maintain that shape the way you view the world. So a worldview is therefore like a, a set of lenses that you wear, that you see the world through these lenses. They, they describe to you things about reality and truth and meaning and how the world works. And whether or not people are aware of it, everybody has a worldview. And I'm sure that many of you are aware that there are competing worldviews, contradicting worldviews. In fact, disagreements between individuals and most of the disagreements that you probably have with your friends with your neighbors, with your family perhaps, all trace back to the fact that you probably have a different worldview than them. And so you approach the world differently. Most of the time, worldviews are not appropriately recognized. But I want you to think of it like this for a second. Uh, if we were to go out into the parking lot and, uh, and we were to find, written in sidewalk chalk, on the parking lot, a number. And you're standing on one side of that number and you say, that's a six. And someone is standing on the opposite side of that number and says, no, 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 that's a nine. 
And the person that drew it didn't provide the line underneath it like we so often expect, but there was no line. And they're over there saying, it's a six, and getting red in the face. And you're saying, no, it's a nine. Now, that illustration at first suggests that worldview is just a matter of perspective. And that worldviews are totally subjective based off of where you stand. If I'm here, it's a six. If I'm there, it's a nine. But everything changes if you can ask the person who drew the number, what's the number? And so although sometimes people think that all worldviews are a matter of just subjectivity, it just depends on where you stand, actually, life has objective realities based off of the person who drew that number, or in our case, the God who tells us what reality is. And so we are looking at the Christian worldview this month, that we not only have the observable universe and the truth within it, we also have the communication from the one who made it to tell us what it all means. So origin, meaning, morality, and destiny, and today, origin. Let's pray and hear God's word. Our God, we bow before you and confess that in the scriptures you speak to us. And Lord, we ask that you would give us the faith today to believe. So often our, our hearts are our hard and our minds obtuse to the reality that you would teach us. But Lord, we pray that you would illuminate us by your spirit and that you would teach us these essential truths from your word today. That we might be faithful followers of Jesus, informed Christians equipped with a biblical worldview. And so, Lord, speak to us today in the power of your word, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, first of all, let us hear God's word from Genesis 1, chapter 1, in the first five verses. This is the word of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. You want to keep, keep a finger, keep a pencil in Genesis so you can get back to it quickly and then turn right over to the New Testament to the book of Acts. Uh, in the book of Acts, Paul is in the city of Athens, center city of the ancient world. And he is on uh, the hill called the Areopagus, uh, the marketplace where people would gather to share their ideas and Paul encounters ancient Greek culture with a word about Christian worldview. In Acts chapter 17 and starting at verse 22, the word of God continues. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. 
The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we indeed, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. And uh, again, keep something there in Acts 17, and we'll be between Genesis and Acts today as we consider this first issue of the Christian worldview the question of origin, where do we come from? And uh, there's an outline in your bulletin, if that's helpful to you, to follow along. And uh, the first thing that we want to see in Genesis is this very, very simple but uh, earth-shattering reality. And that is, first of all, the God who is. The God who is. Uh, that, that term is actually, it was coined in the mid-20th century by a Christian apologist called Francis Schaeffer. Some of you might know that name. Francis Schaeffer said, the God who is. So the first issue that needs to be addressed is, where do the things that exist come from? The things that exist, where did they come from? And throughout this, this month, we are going to be not only looking at the realities of the Christian worldview, but holding them over against other worldviews that are suggesting contrary truth claims, and there are many answers to this first question. Where do the things that exist, where did they come from? But on that question, there's really just three camps of answers to that question. The first one is, where do the things that come from, where do the things that exist come from? The first is the answer that before creation, nothing existed. Uh, this is called nihilism. Nihilism says that before this universe was, nothing existed. Absolutely nothing. Not God, not matter, not mass, not energy, not potential, not protoplasm, nothing. Things come from nothing in the view of nihilism. And the, the phrase of nihilism is, out of nothing, nothing comes. You should ask, is that a very plausible worldview? If there are things that exist, they must come from something. The fact that something now exists must obviously drive us to the conclusion that something exists if something now exists. And so nihilism says, no, there's nothing. And we might say, 
That doesn't make sense. What is the something that exists because other things exist? Well, the second thing that people might say, besides nihilism, the second general perspective on this question of where do things come from is called materialism. Materialism says and suggests that there has always been something that exists and the thing that has always existed is matter. Matter, some protoplasm or primary particle in which all the potentialities later realized in the universe were contained in that one piece of matter. And from the potentialities in that one piece of matter bursted forth some primordial blob that later became the world that we have. And this view suggests that everything that exists is nothing but pure matter and energy and that nothing, um, life is nothing more than just random interactions of chemicals that evolve through natural selections of mutating genes. And so it's not nihilism because it says something exists, but that something is matter. But the issue with materialism is, how does intelligence come from unintelligence? How does order come out of chaos? And that's why the third major view focuses on not just matter itself, but a source of intelligence. And that view, not nihilism, not materialism, is a view called theism. Theism, a belief in a pre-existing, eternal, personal God. And I should say, it depends on what religion somebody is, but many different religions could be categorized under theism. But the Christian worldview is, of course, founded on the idea of Christian theism. In this view, of course, we hold that before creation existed, God alone existed and that he is responsible for bringing everything into existence that exists or ever has. Nihilism, nothing. Materialism, bare matter. Theism, God. Christian theism, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the triune God. And you know, some people say, I don't believe in the existence of God. And in fact, you probably know people who say that, and that's fine. Well, you should ask the question, do you exist? Do you believe in your existence? Set aside the question for a second, the existence of God. Do you believe that anything exists? And how is it that what exists came into existence? Where did it come from? And by that question, you are on the way to determining the worldview that somebody operates from. We will see this month, of course, that we operate from the Christian worldview because it is the most reasonable worldview, actually, but it's also the most internally coherent and consistent worldview as well. Every aspect of the Christian worldview, from origin, meaning, morality, and destiny, relate to each other, don't contradict each other. They are a system of truth that makes sense, as opposed to other worldviews that are internally incoherent and contradictory of themselves. So where do we build this worldview of origin in the Christian faith from? And why does it matter? Because I want to say to you, it is not enough for you as a Christian believer to just say, I, I believe in God, but I don't think about it much more than that. That's not good enough. You cannot operate in a world of competing and contradictory worldviews if you are not equipped to interact on these essential matters of 
life. It's not just enough, a bare assertion of faith in God. I'm glad that you believe in God. What do you believe about the God that you believe in? And the scriptures say in Genesis 1 that he is a God of creation. This is important to see as the witness of the Christian worldview. Genesis 1.1, you probably don't even look at the Bible to know what it says. And yet, we should re-familiarize ourselves that in the beginning, God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so, this is the assertion, not just of theism, that's the belief in God, but this is the assertion of Christian monotheism that we believe in how many gods? One. Genesis 1.1 only makes reference to one God. And this is important on the pages of the Old Testament because the people of Israel are interacting with the Word of God in the Old Testament amidst a culture that was famous for their paganism and for their pantheism. Because in ancient culture, it was widely acceptable to have a belief in many gods. People would say things like, well, I hope the gods will smile upon us. I hope the gods will be favorable to us. And to that idea of pagan pantheism of a multiplicity of gods comes the opening declaration of Genesis. In the beginning, one God. And this one God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. Because also a part of the worldview of ancient paganism and pantheism was the idea that these multiple gods ruled over multiple domains of multiple tribes of people. And this god ruled over that place and this god over that place. And Genesis 1-1 asserts a Christian monotheism that says, one god who creates and rules over all things. Not a subdivision of things, but all things. And it is exactly as Genesis says, and so also the prophet Isaiah, that the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. And so here, this essential beginning principle of the Christian faith, a view of Christian monotheism, God as creator, that our origin comes from the God who made us. This is the first working principle of a biblical worldview. And the Bible begins here, and you should begin here as well. And the principle in that is, if you want to make sense of your life, and if you want to make sense of the world in which you live, you don't begin with yourself, and you don't begin with the world in which you live. What do you begin with? You begin with God. Our beliefs about God should not be formulated based off of who he is in reference to us. We don't begin with ourselves and then define God because if we do that, we will just make a God that totally fits our needs. And so a God that exists to meet your needs, solve your problems, help you feel better, is a divine butler and a therapist, not a sovereign God. We do not begin with ourselves and then define God. Rather, we begin with God and then define our existence based off of who he really is, the God who is really there. And so we begin with the God who is. And after seeing that, then we can see 
the creation which came into being. The creation which came into being. First the God who is, then the creation which came into being. Now in and of itself, that is a very important distinction to make. The distinction between creator and creation. The creator God has always been. And the creation is brought into existence. The creation does not eternally exist. It has a beginning. And that's very important because there are those who think that the world itself, the material universe is divine. That's also called pantheism, the idea that the world itself is God. God is the trees. God is the ocean. God is the etc. fill in the blank that suggests that the divine being is the material world itself. No, 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 no. There is a distinction between creator and creation. And Christian theism says that the creator brings the creation into being by a divine act of creation. How does he do it? Again, chapter 1, verse 3 of Genesis. And God said... God said, the power to create universes and galaxies and people and places is the authority of his word. God speaks and things come into being. God says, let there be, and it is. If you are not sufficiently amazed by that, it might be because you're not lingering on it deeply enough. God speaks and things come into existence. And that's exactly what Psalm 33 says when it says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all of their hosts. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Creation happens by the authority of God's word who speaks, and by speaking creates. But, but how does the speech of creation make creation? How does God's word make things exist? Things that have physical properties. And to that we say, God did not use parts of himself to create. Because God does not have parts, but also because God does not take from himself to implant into creation. God did not use pre-existing materials to form the things that exist because before creation nothing existed and so that's why we say that God created the Latin is ex nihilo out of nothing God speaks and things exist out of nothing or by Hebrews 11:3 says by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible we used to say that the source of creation is the divine and authoritative word of God, not pre-existing material. Creation ex nihilo, out of nothing. That is our origin. But then from that, we also get to the question that most people are most curious about. Maybe you are, maybe not. How long did that take? We're fascinated by this question. How long did it take? How much time did it take for God to create? Could God, could God have created all that exists in one instant? Absolutely. 
But the witness of the scriptures is that he did not, but rather he created it over the course of six days. And the million dollar question is, what does that mean? And if you really want to spark up a conversation, even among groups of Christians on that point, ask them what they understand that to mean. Because depending on who you are and depending on where you operate and perhaps in your background of education or where you work or what you do, you may have particular perspectives on this issue. And you know what? The Christian church has had particular perspectives on this issue as well. Uh, this past week, I sat in on two different ordination exams of new uh, men who were petitioning to become ministers in the EPC. And one of the questions that we asked them is, how do you read Genesis 1 to 3? What do you take six days to mean? And both guys gave two different answers. But in that context, it was actually appropriate because uh, the confessional tradition of the Reformed faith uh, has the, the belief that we believe that God created in the space of six days. And there has always been a charitable amount of room for interpretation on what six days means. And I know, I know that there are plenty of us who assert, well, for me, six days means six days. 24-hour periods, and you know what? You would probably be bulked together with the majority view throughout church history, and that's fine. But there are also additional views that understand six days in multiple different interpretations. And if you want to look some of them up, if you're so inclined, they're called the calendar day view, the day age view, the framework view, and the analogical view. If you want to look those up later, ask me about them. We can talk about them some other time. But it is to say that it is not the specific length of time in creation that is the primary concern in Genesis 1. But rather what the doctrine of creation asserts generally. That God, who is eternal, creates all things that exist out of nothing in the space of six days. Six days. But what does the Christian worldview insist on these points? That creation is not a random act some big bang, that human beings are the crowning order of creation and therefore not a part of an evolutionary process of primordial uh, bog from a lightning strike making life. And you know what's interesting as I was looking at some of these things, that pastors report, 58% of pastors report that they're concerned that if they admit their views to their congregation, it will have a negative impact on their ministry. And you may be wondering, well, why would you bring that up if that's the case? But let me just say, on the issue of Genesis 1 to 3, here's where I put my stake in the ground, if that's appropriate or not. Where I draw the line is when I read Genesis 1 to 3, in the account of God's creation, in the account of the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve, I read it with the insistence that it is not myth, but history. Genesis 1 to 3 is not myth, it is history. And do you know why that's so important? Is because Adam and Eve must be real historical people, or the story of salvation goes away. Because the story of salvation unfolds across a story of a race of humanity falling in sin. And a redeemer 
coming to redeem that race of humanity. The first man is called Adam. And the New Testament in Romans 5 and 1 Corinthians 15 calls Jesus the last Adam. And to suggest the first Adam is not real is to impugn the existence of the second Adam. The last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, it is a, in the biblical worldview, a non-starter to suggest a naturalistic material worldview because a naturalistic and nihilistic worldview are incompatible with the Bible's perspective of biblical supernaturalism. People of God, do not be afraid to draw your line on the matter of origin. God is our creator. So, there is the God who is and the creation which comes into being. But finally, you know, there's always the importance of the so what, the application. Why is this so essential? Why is the, the question of origin such an important beginning point for a Christian worldview? Because, for this reason, the Christian doctrine of creation is not speculation. It is declaration. The word of God says God is our creator. It is the first building block in the Christian worldview as a matter of first importance. As Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes 12, remember your creator. You are not the creator. You are the created. And that is exactly what Paul is proclaiming to the intelligentsia, the ultimate elite of the ancient world in the Areopagus in Athens. When he tells them, this is a fact that you are not able to dismiss. It is a reality with which you must reconcile. The God who made the world and everything in it, who gives life and breath to all things, you must reckon with the reality of this God. And he's made himself known in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And earlier on in the book of Romans chapter 1, Paul says that God has made it absolutely plain that he exists. All you have to do is look outside. Look at the creation to know that there is a creator. We apply the doctrine of creation by remembering that we are not the creator, that he exists, and because he exists, we exist. But you know what? Very practically as well, we shouldn't dismiss this because this helps you make sense of your life. Where do you come from? Uh, some of you need to hear this very, very clearly. You are not an accident. You have internal worth because God made you. Do you know how much despair people are in today because they don't have an answer to that question? Do I matter? The Christian worldview says all people matter. Yes, you matter. The psalmist says, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are not some benevolent biological accident. God made you. And he did a good job when he made you. And so you shouldn't fret about who you are. You shouldn't fret about what you look like. So many people suffer under the burden of wishing they were this way or that way or look this way or that way and choose to feel sorry for themselves rather than realizing that God made me and God delights in me. And if all creation worships and glorifies its maker, shouldn't we 
Ultimately, the point of the doctrine of the creation is, is that if you consider the vastness, the complexities, the details from the, the infinite galaxies are held in place by the authority of his word to the intricacies of a child being knit together in his mother's womb, all the details, all of the complexities is all a result of God's creative divine authority. It's astounding. And Nehemiah 9.6 says, all the host of heaven worships you. Origin, the worldview of the Christian believer says you're not an accident. God made you. You are the created. You are not the creator. And you are called to worship this creator. I'll just close by saying it this way. In the children's catechism, the simplest catechism, question one says, who made you? And you know what the answer is? God made me. And that's enough. The almighty, infinite, eternal God, the maker of the heavens and earth, that's where you come from. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the glory of your word and the glory of your truth. We pray that you would continue to shape us by it and to help us to view the world through the lens of your revealed word. And so bless us as we seek to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.